Uh, we encourage people to get into small groups because that's where uh, you get to experience life together where you can grow in your faith. So I want to call up Parker Fretwell uh, right now. Um, yeah, you can <laughs> Parker is married to Amy and her kids, Luke and Sophie. Lord, thank you so much for being a part of this, and I'm so glad that you're up here. Parker is our brand new small group director, and he doesn't officially start for a few more weeks, but since he's here with his family, we're putting him to work. So it's a new small group season. What excites you about small groups, Parker? Well, thank you, Andy. I, I have to tell you, I'm just humbled and honored to serve you in this capacity. I'm excited about it, and I can't wait to get started. I think what excites me most is, you know, it sounds kind of crazy, but when you look at the ocean and the vastness and the mountains, what God's created, you know, that's the kind of love he has for us. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of love that we get to share with each other. But whatever comes in front of us, whatever challenges we see, whatever we have to deal with, if we love each other, the strength that we can have together the, uni the unified front that we can present through the love of Jesus is just amazing. Man, that's what God called us to, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Jesus said, how do you know that these people are my disciples, right? And in John 13, 35, he says, well, because of the way they love each other, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think that love is just amazing, and I can't wait to support you. I just want to do everything I can to support you as you love each other as you do incredible things and go through life together, hmm. people want to look in and go, what is that? Yeah. I want to be a part of that. And that's our chance to disciple. So I'm excited to be here. I can't wait to, uh, to move forward. And uh, yeah, Amy and I have, Amy and Luke and Sophie and uh, Parker and Morgan have been small group leaders for five years. And uh, we have seen big groups that split and split again. And then we've been down to one or two people <laughs> where we had hope that someone would show up uh, <laughs> so we know both sides of that so I just I couldn't be more excited awesome. uh, and honored to be a part of what we're doing moving forward great things are going to happen here and they are happening so thank you guys very much for the opportunity absolutely man let me pray for you man mm. Lord it's um, great to be able to come before your throne of grace and I'm so thankful for Parker and for Amy Lord thank you for equip equipping them to be able to do this role Lord I'm so expecting to see what you're going to do, Lord, I pray that you continue to already work in their lives, that you protect them, shield them, give them wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right, I think I got all the things. At first service, we had so many more things going on with people joining and baptisms happening. It feels like I'm missing something this service, but I don't think I am. So let's spend some time in prayer. God, it's awesome to be able to come before your throne of grace, Lord. It's awesome to be able to worship you. This morning, as we're looking at creation, your creation, Lord, I know that for many people in this room, uh, recognizing your creation is not an issue at all. So I pray that this would be... Uh, strengthening to their faith, Lord, that you would help them to be able to worship you even more. Lord, I know for some people in this room, they're really skeptical that you created everything and maybe just downright don't believe it at all. So I pray this morning that they would experience your love and your grace and your mercy and that they would be able to, to see the, the truth of your word, Lord. God, I am so grateful that we have your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear it, that it would impact us and that it would change us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
While I was on vacation, Pastor David Swicegood did a tremendous job about having the body of Christ uh, serve together in all the ways that we can serve in our giftedness. So grateful for him and his leadership. Pastor Smiley did a great job last week of laying the foundation uh, for creation. I don't think either of them said our purpose out loud. You know I like to do that. So that's what we're going to do this morning. If you'd say it with me, it's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel and biblical community. We are in a series called the one story of the Bible, that we're spending time in creation, then we're going to look at the fall, and then redemption, and then uh, consummation. I know on a day when we're, at, when we're honoring educators, it's a bold move to talk about uh, creation and evolution, but that's what we're doing, and I'm just praying that it goes out with truth and love, and you hear what God's Word says. We are spending three weeks on creation. Last week, Pastor Smiley laid a great foundation about what Scripture says about creation and why we're even doing this series. This week we're going to look at why I believe in creation. And next week we're going to look at why does it even matter at all. And it's really cool in God's sovereignty, um, probably a year ago, Christy and I decided that we really wanted to go to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Literally, we know that we're doing the series uh, this week, so I came back with tons of resources. So here's our family in front of the Ark Encounter. It's a truly amazing thing to see. They built it to the specs of the Bible, and so you have this huge Ark that on the bow, I have a picture of us right next to the bow. You can see how little the people are next to it. It goes up 10 stories high. It's an amazing thing to see. They did a great job with with both the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, both Smithsonian quality um, museums. This is a picture of us with Ken Ham, who's the founder of the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. He's the one that put it all together, and he just happened to be there that day, so we got to meet him and see him. And uh, when we were on vacation, we were going down tubing down a kind of a shallow uh, river in North Carolina, and it wasn't quite white water, but it was moving pretty good, and my son Luke, if you know Luke, he's wildly adventurous, and so he wants to go the craziest route possible. If there's white water, he's running towards that, and so that's what he does with his tube, but he kind of got stuck in one of the rocks, and he started looking like he was panicking a little bit, so hero dad comes to the rescue, and I jump off my tube, and when I do that, I gash my foot on one of the rocks, and I didn't think anything of it. We did the rest of the stuff. We went tubing for the rest of the day, and I got back on dry land. I just bandaged it up. No big deal. Well, five days later, we're walking around the Creation Museum, and all of a sudden, my foot just blows up, super infected. It went from nothing to about, uh, to, I couldn't even move my toes in like two hours. So I didn't tell my family anything, but we got back to the hotel, and my wife saw it, and she said, you're going to the hospital. So no vacation is good without a hospital visit. So... <laughs> So we go, go, to, go to the hospital there, and they said, oh, you have an infection. So I would take an antibiotics. Well, the next day we're at the Ark Encounter, and I spike a fever. Well, uh, they knew about what was going off my foot, so immediately into the ambulance I go from the Ark Encounter. Thousands of people there at the Ark Encounter. Here I am being wheeled out to an ambulance. Uh, and, but that, So I go to this little rinky-dink hospital in northern Kentucky. By the time I get there, my fever is gone. They said, listen, you're fine. Just go back to your family. But you have to ride an electric scooter the rest of the time. So here's a little footage. Here's a little footage of that at, my, uh, at the Ark Encounter. Be able to share this with you.
It was really awesome. By the time we got, so when we got there, there was thousands and thousands of people right when it opened. Well, by the time we got back, it was about four o'clock. It stays open until nine. Everyone had left by that time. So there was like maybe 50 people at the Ark. So we just had a great time learning about all the things that they had, and I got to scoot around. So it was, it was really, really great. The, one of the things that we've been asking people to do in the series, I know it's only a few weeks old, but to, is to ask questions. We want people to be equipped to ask questions so you can lead in the gospel conversations. And I hope you've had a chance this week uh, to be able to ask people, uh, where did you think everything came from? And this week we're going to add to it, why do you believe that? So we want to challenge you this week as part of our action step to ask those questions so that you can go into gospel conversations. The whole reason why we're doing this series, really, there really is two reasons. One, we want you to be able to confidently share the one story of the Bible. So we're going to take three weeks to look at creation. We're in week two of that now. Then we're going to look at fall, take two weeks of that. Then two weeks of redemption and two weeks of consummation. So that you know the one story of the Bible. You can clearly communicate that to your friends, neighbors, coworkers, people that have questions. And then also, we want you to develop the skills of being able to ask questions. The great thing about asking questions, and I was doing it some this week, and it's amazing the answers that you get when you ask, where did everything come from? Um, as you're asking those questions, then hopefully you get an opportunity to be able to share what you believe too. So the point for today is, I believe in creation because Jesus did, the Bible teaches it, and it fits the world I live in. I believe in creation because Jesus did. The Bible teaches it, and it fits the world I live in. So we're going to start with uh, Jesus' belief about creation and what the Bible says about creation, and then we'll go on to how it fits into the world that we live in. This is Matthew chapter 19, and this is typically one of the go-to verses when talking about marriage and divorce, but you'll see why we chose that as one of the scriptures this morning. What I really like to do uh, when, when I'm sharing scripture with you is pick one uh, passage from the Bible, really sit there, break it down verse by verse. But today is going to be a little bit different because we're looking at what Jesus believed uh, through his lifetime about creation and what the Bible says about it. Because, so it's going to be more of a Bible survey uh, this morning. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And we see here very clearly, Jesus is talking about the Creator, and He is a part of being the Creator. He's the second person of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been there from the beginning. And so He's saying the Creator, He made them male and female from the beginning. The late great theologian and pastor R.C. Sproul was teaching a college class once, and he was asked in that class by several students, why do you believe in creation? And so, being the intelligent guy that he is, he turned the table on them and said, well, before I answer that, why do you believe in evolution? And the students thought for a second, and they said, well, because we see minor changes in species. And R.C. Sproul said, yeah, I, I see that too. I, I agree with that. What other reasons do you have? And they said, well, that's what we've been taught. So, it's, it's, it's interesting that this is what's being taught, but we're not really 
thinking this through a little bit. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is think it through a little bit. There was a really great movie done by Ben Stein a few years ago called Expelled. And basically what it, what it did was it was a documentary about scientists that believe in creation or they believe in um, intelligent design. And because of that, they were being expelled from academia. They were being pushed out of their teaching positions. There were students that are getting zeros on, on papers that they're writing that involved anything with creation. Well, in this movie, he interviews the world-renowned evolutionist and atheist Richard Dawkins, who, the author of The God Delusion, um, multi-million dollar uh, best-selling book about atheism and, and evolution. And he asks Richard Dawkins here as part of the, part of the, the, the film, where does he think everything came from? Where did it all start from? And this is Richard Dawkins' response. And who did create the heavens and the earth? Why do you use the word who? You see, you, you, you immediately beg the question by using the word who. Well, then how did it get created? Well, um, by a very slow process. Well, how did it start? Nobody knows how, how, how it started. We know the kind of event that it must have been. We know the sort of event that, that must have happened for the origin of life. And what was that? It was the origin of the first self-replicating molecule. Right, how did that happen? I told you, we don't know. So you have no idea how it started? No, 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 no nor has anybody. Nor has anyone nor else. Anybody. What do you think is the possibility that, there, that intelligent design might turn out to be uh, the answer to some issues in uh, genetics or in, well, in evolution? It could come about in the following way. It could be that uh, at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization e evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this, this planet. Um, now, th that is a possibility and an intriguing possibility. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the, um, at the detail, details of biochemistry, molecular biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer. Wait a so here is one of the most well-known, one of the most intelligent atheists in the world. And he's even admitting, and you look at microbiology, when you look at the chemistry of things, that there seems to be a signature, that there seems to be a designer, and he doesn't know exactly what to do with that. See, evolution is, is a belief system about the past based on the words of men who, who, who weren't there, but they're trying to explain how all the evidence ha has originated. And creation is a belief system, too, about the past based on the word of God from God who, who was there. And so this morning when we're looking at the evidence, we're first going to start of what Jesus believed because, because he was there as part of the Trinity. Then we're going to look at what the Bible says and how it fits into our world. I have a, a cartoon here that I just thought was a little bit funny about uh, Jesus being there. Um, it says, I don't believe the earth was created in six days like it says in Genesis. And the other person says, how do you know that? Were you there? And baby Jesus says, yes, I was there. Uh, Colossians 1.16 says, from him, Jesus, all things were created that are in the heaven and are in the earth. So we're just going to look through uh, some of the, what scripture says about Jesus first being at creation and then also about what he believes about it. In John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. And if you look down to verse 10, it says, And he was in the world, and through the world was made, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That scripture that was that was up there with the cartoon is uh, is such a good one. In uh, Colossians chapter one, it says, "For him all things were created in the, in the things in the heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together." The main scripture that I read in the beginning. And at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. This is uh, Jesus talking. When Jesus is talking about uh, from the blood of Abel in Luke chapter 11, He's not accounting for billions of billions of years. He's counting of uh, that blood of Abel happening uh, right soon after creation. Therefore, this generation will be held for, responsible for the blood of all the prophets, prophets that's been shed from the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. The Jewish listeners that were listening to Jesus would have understood that Jesus was talking about a young earth. He was talking about creation that happened probably 5,000 years or so before Christ. And you look in William Whitson's book about the work of Josephus, who uh, was a first century Jewish historian at the time. He indicates all throughout there that the Jews would have understood that Jesus was talking about a young earth. In John chapter 5, verses 45 through 47 says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, and whom you trust. For, you not, for if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? In this passage, it makes it pretty clear that Jesus is saying you must believe what Moses wrote. And one of the passages that Moses wrote was in Exodus 20. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Of course, this is the basis of our seven-day work week, that we work six days and we rest the seventh. They're literal 24-hour days that Moses was referring to and Jesus was telling us to listen to. If you look at all the ways that Jesus viewed the Old Testament, every time he quoted the Old Testament, every time he looked at something that was happening in the Old Testament regarding an event that happened, he regarded it as historical fact. And I think the reason why he did is because he was there. He's part of the Trinity. He knew that these things happened. So every time he referred to, whether it be Adam and Eve, or Noah and the flood, or Moses and the men from heaven, or Sodom and Gomorrah, he's referring them as historical fact. It's very clear in Scripture that Jesus believed in creation. And that's very important because if anyone was there, he was there. And he would have known. And so he's quoting and he's saying things all throughout Scripture, both in the New Testament, the Old Testament. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and he stood fast. And Jesus believed that this, what we have, Scripture, is the word of God. In, in John chapter uh, 17, he literally says that john 17 17 he says um sanctify them by the truth your word is what truth 
His word is truth. They believe that the, he believed that Scripture is God's word. He believed that it is true. He affirmed all of it, not just after the first 11 chapters of Genesis. He affirmed all of it from the beginning to the end of being God's word. See, I, I believe in creation because Jesus believed it and the Bible teaches it. And it fits into the reality that we see. See, the standard of truth, I believe, is Jesus and his word. But the evidence of truth is how it fits the reality. And as I look through scripture, scripture fits the reality that I see. I see that people were made in the image of God. And I see that those people have fallen. They're in sin. And I see that we need a, a redeemer. To me, those are very clear things in scripture. It fits reality. I know some of you might be thinking, well, Andy, don't you trust evolution scientists? I mean, these people are wildly intelligent. I mean, why wouldn't you trust what, they, what they've seen? Well, first of all, you and I have something very much in common with evolution scientists. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We all are in desperate need of a Savior. And scientists are people. And I want you to hear me clearly on this. Because they're people, we need to deeply care about them. We need to love them. We need to share scripture with them. We don't need to condemn them. People that are evolution scientists are not our enemies. They're people that we need to love and we need to share Christ with the best way that we can with truth and grace. Because scientists are people, they're right sometimes and they're wrong sometimes. They're not infallible. God's word is inerrant and infallible and totally trustworthy, but man is not. And because evolution is man's idea, it can be flawed. Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 20, uh, 21 through uh, 23, talks about what happens when we exchange the ideas of God for the ideas of men. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and, and animals and reptiles. See, my first response is like, see, I mean, evolutionists need God. But after I stop and think about it a little bit, I start reading that verse, man, I can fall into that stuff too. When I think about the idols that I make in my life that I put before God, I mean, this happens all the time. I struggle with pride and self-doubt and, and all kinds of things that are not of God. I need God too. You need God too. And the way that we meet God is through Jesus. And that's why he came on this earth. That's why he's existed for all, for all time. He's the Alpha and the Omega, but he came in flesh form as the infinite God-man to seek and save us. He came to rescue us. He had a specific purpose. He had a specific mission, not to leave us in our sin, but to die for our sins, to raise from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Won't you trust in him? If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do that. It's the most important decision that you can make. We're all going to face death. Are you prepared to die? The only way the scripture says that you can be prepared to die is by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you need help with that, come and see me. Remember the prayer team, one of the elders after the service. But you can do it right in your seat, proclaiming that Jesus is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of your life.
See, Jesus affirmed creation. The Bible uh, teaches it, and it fits the world I live in. But I want you to know that through observational science, no one can prove how old or young the earth is. Through observational science, none of us were there. We cannot prove it. Believe, I believe that the only reliable method of dating is counting on the person that was there. And that's God. And that's, that's part of the reason why I don't believe in evolution. But then it just doesn't fit the world that I believe in. And listen, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a pastor. And so this is from a pastoral point of view. But it's also from just a viewpoint of being a man in the world that I live in. I, first of all, I have a hard time believing it all started with a big bang. I've seen lots of explosions on TV and in person, and they've never led to more order. I've never seen an explosion that's led to more order. I'll, I'll give you a quick example of this right now. I have, I have a balloon up here. Now, how many of you think when I pop this balloon, it's going to form into something amazing? Okay, well, yeah, it, it doesn't. Because explosions typically don't cause more order. In fact, I've never seen that happen. I love this letter that was written from... Uh, from Jen Hines. This was written about eight years ago when Cameron Hines was uh, nine years old. And uh, they were talking about the time, they were talking about creation at the time we were doing a series similar to this. And this is what she wrote to us. She said, so, so tonight, as a family, we started a new study for the week. I went through Genesis 1. Can I tell you how awesome it is to listen to your children read the Word of God? It's, there's nothing like it. We went through all six days of creation. Then I read the paragraph out loud in the study about the Big, Big Bang Theory. Since their eyes seemed to glaze over, similar to my calculus students, I explained the theory so they could understand it. I told them, think of a great big hot rock that all of a sudden explodes. Then out of this explosion comes earth, land, sea, sky, sun, moon, stars, animals, and humans. Cameron looks right at me and says, I've seen many explosions on Mythbusters, and nothing ever good comes from those explosions. <laughs> Needless to say, I laughed. She seemed to get the point. He, they seemed to get the point that the theory may have some flaws. Uh, thank God for kids. See, the difference between what the Bible teaches about the origin of the universe and what evolutions, evolutionists believe can really be summed up like this. The Bible teaches that in the beginning God created, and evolutions teach, teach in essence, that nothing became something and then exp it exploded. And I just don't see that in the world that we live in. I also, I also believe, I find it hard to believe, that life comes from non-life. You know, I've, I've had the privilege of seeing three precious kids come into the world. And they came into the world from life. Life begot life. And I've also, as a pastor, been, uh, been uh, bedside in hospitals close to when other children were being born. And you know what no one has ever said when their child is being born, no one has ever said, thank God for science. Thank you, science. This is so awesome. No one ever says that because I believe deep down in everyone's heart, we recognize that life comes from life and the children that we have are blessings from God. They're not just accidents that come from non-life. Another thing that, I, that doesn't really fit into my worldview as I look around is that 
believing that simple life forms change into complex ones over time. Firstly, first of all, in the time of Darwin, he didn't have all the technology that we have to see that even what he thought were simple life forms were wildly complex, even down to the, to the cell level. But one of the things that even Darwin recognized is that there should be all kinds of transitional kinds in evolution if evolution is true. And he recognized it was a big flaw in his theory. He wrote, the number of intermediate varieties uh, which have formed exist on Earth must be truly enormous. Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does, re does reveal any finely graduated organic chain. And this perhaps is the most obvious and gravest objection that can be urged against my theory. Now, the way that he defended that and the way what he attributed it to was basically not having enough technology to, to look out and get as many fossils as he could and that surely that over the ages that, that that would be found. But since he penned these words, there's literally been millions of fossils found without any of the transition kinds. See, I, I believe that the implication of evolution is really revealing. And we're going to talk a lot more about this next week. But evolution, at its core, means no God. And if there is no God, then there is no rules, there is no commandments, and there's no God-given things that we should obey for our good and for the good of others. We can live our lives the way that we please, According to the evolutionary philosophy, there's no God in whom we have to give an account to. So if you believe in molecules to man evolution, that's why it can be so attractive to so many because you can live the way that you please. It's relative morality. But we believe as brothers and sisters in Christ that we have a word of God, that there is a standard. There is, there is a truth that we're held to in the grace of God. I also believe in creation because I see that life comes from life. Jesus is the one that gives life. I see animals produce after animals. I see plants produce after, reproduce after plants. I certainly see differences in the kinds, but I don't see jumps in different kinds. I see all kinds of evidence around it. There's a couple of things, and listen, I, I'm running out of time, but there's a couple of things, and you should have seen me this week. I'm surrounded in my desk with just tons of books. I could go on about this for, for hours and hours, but I know you guys want to go to lunch, so I'm going to wrap this up. But there's a, there's a couple of things that are really cool. One is what evolutionists call the faint young sun paradox. They don't know what to do with this because basically what happens is when the fusion of hydrogen and helium in the core of its sun uh, explode, that's where the energy comes out and that's where the heat comes. Well, what they found is the sun has gotten gradually more and more hot. And so if you extrapolate that back billions of years, that means that the sun would have been far more cool. And when you look at looking at that billions of years, from billions of years ago, that means that the earth would have been freezing everywhere, would have been below freezing everywhere. Life could not have existed. And even evolution, evolutionists that are geologists will, will say there's no evidence of that ever anywhere on earth. Then you look at the uh, decaying electromagnetic field that's around us. We don't think about this often, at least I don't, uh, about how much we need that. It, it allows for life to happen and occur here on earth. Well, that's rapidly decaying. If you extrapolate that out over billions of years, that meant that 
the electromagnetic field had to be so strong and so powerful, the earth would have been so unbelievably hot that life couldn't have existed. See, it's a problem when you look back billions of years at the sun getting hotter or the electromagnetic field getting, getting uh, weaker. But when you're only looking at thousands of years that I believe the Bible teaches and that Jesus teaches, it's not a problem or issue at all. I can almost hear some of you saying, who cares about all this? Well, the reality is, is that evolutionists and secularists are adamant about not having creation taught in schools because they understand how vitally important it is for people's worldview. And we should understand how important it is too. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week. But I believe that, that creation fits into the worldview that I see. I see that Animals, we got animals, that plants reproduce after their own kind. I see that man is made of dust. You know, the dust in your house is like 90% skin cells. So, yeah, right. Uh, so, yeah. But dust, dust to dust, I see that. I see the law of ent entropy. I see things over time not getting better. And I have evidence of that every single morning when I look at myself in the mirror. I'm not looking better as time goes by, okay? I'm looking worse and worse and worse. My wife can attest to that. See, there are, there are people that are much smarter and much more educated than me, but they're not more than Jesus. And science comes from the Latin word scientia, and you know what Jesus is? He's omniscientia. He's omniscient. He reveals to me in his word that he created everything out of nothing. And I believe that's the standard of truth. I believe there's an evidence of truth in the world that we live in. So I want you this week to ask someone, where do you think everything came from? And why do you believe that? Listen, this is a non-threatening thing. There's no wrong answer. You're just hearing somebody's opinion. I did it last week, and it's fun to hear people's answers. You get all kinds of things. It's fun to just hear what people have to, have to say about it. Respect them. Love them. Let them share their opinion, and then maybe they'll ask you back, and maybe you can invite them to church next week. Maybe you can share what you believe about the one uh, story of the Bible. The point this week is I believe creation because Jesus did. Bible teaches it, and it fits the world that I live in. Let's pray together. Lord, I know for some people here this morning, it's, it's really tough hearing this, and, and they want to fight against it. And maybe they're even a little angry right now. Lord, I pray you speak to their heart, Lord, that you would um, show them the truths of your word, that... It wouldn't necessarily be about convincing them about evolution or creation, but they would know you and come to know the one that, that did create it all. Lord, I pray for others of us in this room that, that are reinforced in what they believe. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be able to stand in truth and love for the sake of people, for the sake of your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.